Welcome to Fick Focus, where Bloomberg Intelligence fixed income, credit currency, and commodity strategists and analysts discuss their short and long-term views on debt markets and issuers. Now, here's the Bloomberg Intelligence Fick Research Team. It's October 20th, stocks are higher, spreads are tighter, and the joy of earnings season is upon us. Are we back to a Goldilocks period, or will volatility and rising rates return? I'm Rob Schiffman, and welcome once again to BI's monthly credit chat podcast. Today, we'll be discussing supply bottlenecks, worker shortages, price inflation, and their impact across global consumer goods and services credits. Uh, We have an amazing powerhouse lineup of guests today, Uh, Jody Lurie. BI's leisure, lodging, restaurants, gaming, sort of everything else that's fun. Mary Ross Gilbert, BI's U.S. consumer analyst, and Louise Parker, BI's European consumer analyst. Hey, Jody, how are you? Hey, Rob, how are you? I'm, I'm sort of okay. I've run into a few headaches myself. Um, the Schiffmans are moving, and we're realizing that uh, buying furniture has become a headache. Not only does it, uh, are the costs through the roof, but the waiting times are enormous five, eight, 12 months. Um, and what really impacted me the other day as I read about how uh, Domino's uh, was going to be raising prices because they can't find enough pizza delivery guys. So what I thought we'd talk about today is this breakdown of supply chain that, that you've been writing so eloquently about. You cover just the widest gamut of consumer cyclicals. Could you just start by walking us through a, a little bit of what you see uh, and which names are most challenged by by these issues? Sure, Rob. So we published a note in conjunction with Mary and Louise about the supply chain breakdown as well as the labor shortages. And, and what's interesting in my space is that these companies are feeling the brunt of the effects, and it's this ripple down of the chain. So you get these container ships, they ship the product, then they have to get on the trucks, and then they have to go to their locations. And if you take the restaurants, for example, which are seeing some of the largest squeezes at the moment, you have this scenario where anything from takeout boxes to ketchup packages to individual random food items are not getting delivered to the stores and are not getting delivered to the restaurants. And so it's a tremendous problem, particularly at the mob and pop level, but you're also seeing it at the larger chain restaurants as well. I mean, Brinker today even echoed some of that sentiment, and they, and they talked about the fact that they're passing on some of these costs in terms of higher prices and menu items. You take that to another level, and you think about the margin effect combined with the fact that they don't have enough staff to actually wait tables, never mind the, the truckers that Louise is going to talk about on the European side as well, that are shipping the products to the, the places and the people who are delivering, and there's this whole massive breakdown. But demand's still there, right? I mean, there's still tons of people walking into restaurants and casinos and getting on planes and going on vacations. So is it just being passed through as higher costs or some places actually shutting down? Which companies in your world are, are, are being most affected and what specifically are you seeing in terms of margins and cash flows, at least from a credit perspective? 
So let's talk first about the positives and then we'll go to the negatives. So on the positive side, you're seeing rental car companies, for example, are actually benefiting from the supply chain breakdown. And it's, effect, it's an effect of that higher demand. We're seeing higher leisure travel and people renting out cars and driving all over the country. And at the same time, the rental car companies reduced their fleet size. And also the automakers are not producing enough cars. And so used car prices are through the roof, which means that the residual value of their fleet is higher. So the rental car companies are actually one of the areas in our space that's benefiting, ironically, from this environment. But then if you take the other side of restaurants, if you take the side of, of gaming and hotel, they're not, they don't have enough staff. A lot of them, you know, absorb the cost of, of, of COVID in the beginning by reducing their headcount and by switching to digitalization. And that digitalization has been a positive for some companies like Darden, where they are benefiting from this change in how they deliver food and how they work with customers. And, you know, McDonald's, Starbucks, they're all pushing the digitalization effort to fill in some of this labor gap. Now, you are still seeing some margin pressure, which is then turning into cash flow pressure, which means for some of these companies that have been delevering, it might take a little bit longer to get through their target. But someone like Darden has actually benefited in, in their aggressive nature to keep cash flows strong and have has resulted in an S&P upgrade, for example. But then you have other companies like, you know, the gaming companies that, that while they're doing well from a demand standpoint, the they can't necessarily supply everything because they don't have people working the tables. They don't have people working the front desk at, at hotels. And so that's where you're seeing some of this breakdown. So the net-net is demand is still there, and maybe there's some pricing power, but ultimately it, it ends up in lower cash flow because there's just not enough people uh, to, to sell product. That's that's correct, Rob. And, and you're seeing it, it emanate in the form of higher wages, um, something that I thought was really fascinating among, for instance, the theme parks this summer is you had your summer employee, meaning your, your regular sort of college or high school student who was working the rides, they were offering them $1,000, for example, to stay on through October if they could. So these crazy sort of bonuses for people who were making at or near minimum wage levels, all of a sudden you're, you're seeing these massive sort of incentives to get more people staffed up. And, and, and remember, Rob, that the problem is a lot of these companies went into skeleton crew mode in 2020. So all of a sudden we went from skeleton crew to guess what, we have a vaccine. The appetite for restaurants, the appetite for doing fun activities is very much there among the consumer level, albeit a little bit a little bit cautiously because we still are waiting for the full vaccination rollout for you know the sub-12 category. And and so you're having this scenario where the demand is there, the supply is not, and so you have this massive squeeze at all different levels that's, you know, as, as we said before, ketchup packets. I mean, think about the fact that people are taking out more, and so all of a sudden a few months ago we had, a, we had this massive um, issue related to the fact that there weren't enough ketchup packets to go around. So, I, listen, I think it's somewhat clear, like, all you need to do is, like, go fill up your gas tank and you realize inflation is here regardless of what... CPI looks like, and it, it, it sort of spread across everywhere. Um, but in general, it still feels like credit strength across the board uh, exists. Uh, and, you know, it's still hard to find sellers, and there's tons of new issues that are still pricing. 
is this is this broader macro inflationary pressure affecting valuations in your sector at all, or um, has uh, has your investor base been able to brush this off? So I think it depends on the company going into this. If you take a company like McDonald's or Starbucks, they were already well positioned with the amount of cash that they had on hand and with the fact that they're a much larger company to be able to absorb these sort of shocks. If you take a company like Brinker that's a little bit um, more challenged or you take some of the lower rated companies and that, that we cover, the squeeze is much more prevalent in their case and, and you could potentially see the effect into 2022. At the moment, we're still at the beginning. So I think we'll see in third quarter and fourth quarter, this echoing that we already saw in the first two quarters, that a lot of companies are saying, hey, listen, inflationary pressures are here. We're trying to work through them. We're trying to work through that as well as the Delta variant. And we're trying to see what's going to happen going forward. You know, a customer can go on our terminal and use the TA function and search for all these different categories within companies uh, transcripts and, and and analyze for themselves how many times these different terms are showing up. And what's interesting that we did in our report was, was the number of times COVID has been mentioned has started going down, but we're seeing this other effect of supply chain, inflation, wage pressures, all these pieces moving up. At the same time, you are seeing companies care more about deleveraging. They're trying to get their balance sheets back in order. But I would argue that a lot of these inflationary pressures might delay that. And so while credit quality has improved and may continue to improve, for a company like McDonald's or Starbucks that is focusing on deleveraging, that might be a little bit farther down the road than they expect. Whereas other companies are, are, are still grappling with the getting back online element of this post-pandemic environment. Great, good stuff. Why don't we dig a little bit deeper um, with Mary? And you know, I think I think we're a little insulated here at um, at seven thirty one Lex at, at Bloomberg because uh, Mike is so generous with 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 snacks, um, and there's an unlimited amount of sodas and snacks and chips and maybe we don't realize how much prices are, are really going up since uh, we grab them by the handfuls here. Um, but Mary, for, for both food and beverages, clearly um, prices have risen. Uh, consumers paying more for everything. Uh, how, how much longer is that going to last? How much higher can we go? Um, how do you think that's going to affect consumer behavior? Rob, that's a good question. So grocery prices are up about 5% across the board, and there's variation depending on the commodity or the service that we're talking about. So consumers are paying roughly 14% more for beef, 12% more for, for pork since the start of the year, and meat comprises about half of at-home price increases. This is according to a White House article. And think about Conagra. Conagra makes Slim Jims and Duncan Hines. They cited that protein input costs were one of the biggest drivers of its double-digit increase in inflation. So most food and beverage companies will take more price increases through the first half of 2022. They've already taken multiple price increases, more to come. And most of these companies expect eventually to fully pass it on to the consumer. The food retailers expect it. So the owner of Gristiti's grocery chain just the other day said he sees another 10% rise in prices within the next couple of months. And another touch point that we can all relate to, given that we're here at Bloomberg and we have coffee all the time, we're not experiencing this 
not as directly. The coffee prices are up more than 60%, not to the consumer, but rather to the, con to the uh, coffee companies. This is due to frost in Brazil, and then also compounding that is higher shipping and labor costs, some of the things that Jody has just touched upon. So for example, here at Dr. Pepper, they're the leading single-serve coffee brewing system, and they cover nearly half of coffee retail dollars. And they're less impacted, believe it or not, by higher bean prices because coffee beans are a lower percentage of its cost structure. Think about the little pod. But if you look at the traditional coffee roast and ground players, that includes like J.M. Smuckers with their Folgers, Folgers brand and Kraft Heinz with the Maxwell House brand, they are being more impacted. And while hedging is mitigating, mitigating the time effect of the price increases, as those hedges roll off, the impact comes through. So therefore, these companies want to get out ahead of that and raise prices. Well, how much pricing power do they actually have? I mean, I walk by probably six Starbucks on my way to the office, and there's still lines out the door, and I don't know what it costs for a cup of coffee anymore. It's probably outrageous, probably, I don't know, three, four people are spending six, seven bucks on, on these fancy coffees. Are, are we, are we going to see any impact on what the consumer is doing? And at, at some point, is the consumer going to say, you can't pass these prices along and I'm, I'm not going to go, or are you not seeing any evidence of that? Rob, that, that, that is a really an amazing point there. I think consumers do like the luxury of being able to pick up a Starbucks and get a Frappuccino or get something special, but when they're in the grocery store, it might, it might be a different story. So right now, brands have been performing very well relative to private label. So private, private label is actually underperformed, but with these price pressures having an impact, you know, the consumer after filling the gas tank, as you mentioned earlier, they may start to shift toward lower-priced private label goods away from the brands. So this is something that we're watching closely, and we think the food and beverage companies hope that innovation will help minimize that trade-down effect. How so? How does innovation change that? Well, when they create a new product that's highly differentiated, then it's not something you can necessarily find in private label. So it could be anywhere from, you know, a value-added product. So. Let's say if we're looking at cereal, it may be a, a new kind of protein power cereal. And so there isn't necessarily that private label on the shelf at the moment. Interesting, interesting. Um, let's dig into costs a little bit more because you, you and, and Jody both talked about shipping costs. Like, so it's clear like oil prices are through the roof. Um, there's, there seems to be a shortage of truck drivers. You know, what, what, what else is like driving um, – all these higher costs. Is there is there something that I'm missing that we need to be wary of? Um, and again, is there an answer to when all this gets better? Yeah, that's right. And, and Jody touched upon this, you know, talking about shipping. So, for example, just to give give you something that everyone can relate to on the shipping side. On the shipping side, if you were to ship a 40 foot container from Shanghai to Los Angeles, that cost almost three times what it did a year ago. But in the last four weeks, it's actually come down about 12%. It's still almost two times what it was a year ago, but we are starting to see some reprieve. And it's not only in shipping, 
that we're starting to see this again. It's still ele highly elevated from a year ago. But we're seeing in grain prices. So we talked, touched upon cereal earlier. At one point, grain prices were up over 50%. That was around in May. Now it's up around 30%. So still elevated over a year ago, but we're starting to see a reprieve. So at some point, the question is, is some of this transitory? And we've been hearing this being discussed you know, all throughout the year. Possibly, you know, with some of these co commodities, it's possible. But on the labor front, I don't think so. I think once we experience higher wages, uh, I don't think we're going to see a reprieve on the wage side. Gotcha, gotcha. All right. Well, let's see if um, if across the pond we're having similar problems. Louise, welcome. How are you? Hey, Rob. I'm well, thank you. Well, you know, one of the things that scared me out of one of your recent reports. Um, we don't have to dig too deep into it, but you're talking about raw materials for, for brewers going up. And I'm afraid that the next time I, I walk into a bar over here, instead of paying $10 for a beer, I might be paying 12 So it's not gonna, <laughs> it's probably not going to change my consumer behavior, but it's interesting to note that you're seeing it sort of uh, all throughout the, the food and beverage chain. But w what about this issue of, of drivers, you know, heavy goods vehicles? You know, it's clearly an issue in the U.S. Is this the same thing that you're, you're seeing in the U.K. and throughout Europe, or is it a, a completely different scenario? Yeah, we're seeing very much the same problem. Um, I've, in, the, in the note that we put out as a group deck, um, I talk very much about the U.K., but it's also a European problem. And if sort of scratched beneath the surface, there's a lot of reasons for it. Um, we have in the UK a shortage of up to 100,000 um, HGV drivers. We call them lorries, truck drivers, you know, same thing. Um, there's a really good reason. About 20,000 drivers left the UK after Brexit and they weren't given special visas. Um, so immigration is now, we're not part of the EU anymore in the UK, so we don't have free, freedom of movement for people. You can't just you know, take your British passport and go work anywhere in 28 EU states. We cannot do that anymore. And on the flip side, neither can European workers. So the drivers went home. They went home because of the pandemic and also because the tax break disappeared when they were self-employed as, as truck drivers. Wages haven't kept up with inflation, so going into the industry as a you know as a young truck driver isn't attractive. Um, the average age of truck drivers is over 55, so they're getting old, they're retiring, and apparently this is what I'm learning: there are really terrible conditions on motorway service stations. So you stop your your truck overnight um, at a gas station on the we call them motorways, we call them freeways. Um, there are no shower, shower facilities. You, you're living in your cab and you, you literally can't take a shower. It's pretty awful out there. So people don't want to go into the business and, and the companies that have their own truck drivers are having to pay upwards five, ten thousand pound bonuses to sign new drivers on. So experienced drivers. And with the pandemic, we also saw a bottleneck of new drivers getting um, tested, so licenses weren't being given, and there's a, a backlog of something like six months to get new drivers. Industry has been screaming about the driver shortage for at least six months. The Tory government haven't really been listening, um, but finally the Prime Minister Boris Johnson last week agreed that 5,000 well, hey, 5,000 visas would be given to European truck drivers. It's really just a, a drop in the bucket. It's not going to fix the problem. 
um, one thing that, that will help though, because these lorries are still coming from Europe, um, even though we're now having huge import paperwork and export paperwork, they used to be able to bring the, their load in, their delivery from Europe, deliver it to the distribution center where it was going to, and then take take a return trip back, so take goods back to Europe. Um, that's more difficult because of Brexit. But in between times, they could also do a lot of deliveries, internal deliveries within Britain. Now, that that disappeared with Brexit. They could only do two internal deliveries. So it wasn't worth their while being away from their family. Say they're coming from Poland, they could be away for two, three weeks. It's not attractive as a, as a job to do that if you're not getting extra bang for your buck. Now the government has said, okay, these lorry drivers can come in, they can, they can do unlimited internal deliveries in a two-week period. So they're trying to sort of wind back some of the laws that, and some of the freedoms these drivers from Europe lost with Brexit, but that problem isn't going to go away anytime uh, soon. Well, it sounds like we should open a truck driving school and start training some young drivers. It must be, it seems like pretty big demand. So this, this is, this is, is, is that much more of a problem though. It sounds like in, in your part of the world, it's not just sort of a, a post pandemic. This is a, a Brexit sort of issue. It's like, so if, if there's, if there's, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, maybe a million jobs that need to be filled. How does that get done? I mean, is it ultimately, can you write bigger checks or there's just not physically going to be the people to perform these services? And and the UK is set up for massive price inflation over the next few years. Yeah, um, another really good question, Rob. Um, for the first time ever in the last couple of months, Britain has got over a million job vacancies. And... It's been coming for a long time, but but Brexit really just just stopped the door and you know shut the door on Europeans wanting to work here. If you if you live here and you're European, you had to prove that you, you've been here for some years. You can stay. You haven't lost your job, but people are feeling unwelcome here, and so thousands of people are leaving, even if they are gainfully employed. Um, the government is basically throwing it back at industry, saying it's not our fault. You have to spend more investment. You have to train more staff. You have to have more apprenticeships. So it's really going back to basics of you know how how do you train a workforce to be gainfully employed. Um, this issue is not going away anytime soon. It takes years to train an apprentice. Yeah. I mean, even if you're just being a, a fitter or doing, you know, air conditioning, whatever, it's a three to four, five-year job. Um, it doesn't get a quick fix overnight. So a lot of these problems are, are related to Brexit and the government hasn't really got a, got a solution for them. So if we narrow it down to impact on, on your consumer companies, so yeah. what are they doing? Um, does it just mean credit quality is going to get worse? Who's best and uh, or worse position? Does anyone stand out in terms of of, of providing better, at least, uh, value from a, a credit perspective than others? Yeah, um, we're hearing more and more, as Jody and, and Mary said, in the various companies. Who, um, in terms of valuation, a lot of these companies post-pandemic came roaring back, so sales recovered, earnings recovered. But it was already baked into the valuations on the bonds, so spreads tightened. So we're actually seeing the results coming through now for the for the last quarter, but the bonds aren't moving because it was already baked in and all people see are headlines saying shortage of drivers, we can't get the product through ports because of bottlenecks. So on the apparel side, the companies I cover that are doing well are Next, um, Next PLC, 
they're using a lot of rail transport. It sounds basic, but if you can get that container onto a train rather than relying on a on a lorry driver, truck driver that doesn't exist, you can still get the goods to your to your distribution center. And then they have um, con they have their own drivers and they have contracts with su supplier companies to get the smaller um, vans out to their stores. And then the online business is much is very much a small van to your front door. So Next is doing a really good job on that. They do appreciate that they're having to pay more and bonuses for retention and to attract um, their own drivers, but they're prepared to do that. And they know they've got a little bit of wiggle room on on pricing, but the customer, the consumer will have to pay with higher prices. On the on another company, um, M&S, Marks and Spencer is also doing okay. We haven't really seen um, some numbers from them for a little while. We've got a, about a month or so to wait for the next uh, round of numbers coming through. Um, online only company, Very Group, reported their numbers yesterday. Um, they have a strange year, and so it was their fourth quarter and full year. And they're doing really well. They built a brand new distribution centre in the north of England, and they're using secondary ports. So there's a massive bottleneck at the ships coming into the port of Felixstowe, which is in the southeast of Britain, and Liverpool, as everyone knows, is um, north northwest in England. Um, but they have a direct rail link to their brand new distribution centre, so they are not seeing any, any bottlenecks. But things will change when you're thinking about suppliers coming from China. There will be problems. There will be shortages. These companies are going into the peak holiday selling season, um, Black Friday, Christmas um, holidays, and we're seeing with companies in the apparel space like Madeline, which is a high-yield company, um, they already have a shortage of um, autumn or your fall and winter stock, fashion stock, on their shelves. So it, it will get to a point where something has to give. They, you can't force a product through a bottleneck, but your, if your consumer has to wait to buy that, that fashion item and it's, it is reliant on the season, you could lose those sales. So it's less a margin, more a top line, but then it comes straight down to, to your cash flow and your earnings and cash flow. That's great stuff. I, I think I could talk to you guys about this for another couple of hours, but I'm already past my uh, the time for my free snacks. <laughs> um, for, for, uh, for those of you who, who haven't seen um, this joint note from Jody, Mary, and Louise, uh, it's called Supply Chain Reigning Over Consumer Goods Margins. Um, it's just phenomenal work. And it really digs super deep into um, cost structures um, and who's at risk, who has pricing power. Um, I, I suggest anyone who's interested in this space um, take a read of that. Um, I want to thank uh, my colleagues and thank you for listening to our October BI Credit Chat podcast. Now, as always, if you need anything from our team, feel free to reach out directly or simply access the credit research dashboard at BI Cred G. Uh, so stay happy and healthy until next month. May your longs be tighter and your shorts wider. Bye-bye. <laughs>